Well, I invite you to turn with me. We're going to look once again at Jonah chapter 1. Jonah 1. 774 in your pew Bible. Hear now God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with him to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. May God bless the hearing and reading of his word to us this morning. Well, 15 years ago, many of you were just beginning to clean up the devastation that Hurricane Katrina left in its path. Over 1,800 deaths and $125 billion in damage. We still see the empty lots along Highway 90 where beautiful homes once stood 15 years ago. Now knowing the danger associated with large hurricanes like this one that came through Louisiana and Texas this past week, it astounds me that some people will always refuse to evacuate from endangered areas, ignoring the warnings from officials. I think I might be tempted to Stay for a Category 3, but a 4 or 5, I'm out of here. Well, sin, like a hurricane, leaves pain, 
misery and destruction in its wake. I want to sound the warning today of the danger of sin as we see the consequences of Jonah's refusal to obey the Lord and go to Nineveh. I hope that we will all be reminded of the destructive nature of sin in our lives and run from it. Well, first of all, let's be clear on what is meant by sin. Sin can be a failure to do what God commands. That's what Jonah was doing. He was refusing to do what God had commanded him to do, to go and preach to Nineveh. Or it can be some, doing something that God forbids. We refer to this, uh, this distinction as sins of omission and sins of commission. A person can sin by failing to do a duty like Jonah. That's omission. He's omitting a duty. And a person can sin by doing something that is wrong. That's committing a sin, a sin of commission. Now, we can sometimes, this is an important distinction because sometimes we can think, well, I didn't do anything wrong, but we never consider if we have done what is right. Yes, maybe you haven't murdered anyone, but have you positively promoted life at every turn in your life? However we may commit sin, whether it's deeds of omission or commission, there's always consequences. Now, we see the consequences of Jonah's sin laid out for us here in chapter 1. Jonah's rebellion against God's command and all that happens to him afterwards is a great reminder to us of the consequences of disobeying the Lord's commands. We downplay the consequences of sin in our lives and in the lives of others. So it is good for us to reflect on sin's consequences and be mindful of the damage it causes to ourselves and to others. So let's look at these various things that we see in Jonah's life and his experience here in chapter 1, and I'll, I'll point a few of them out to you. And the first one we see here is that sin separates us from God. We noted last week when we looked here at chapter 1 that Jonah decided to disobey God uh, when he did so he was retreating from the presence of the Lord. It's said, it's noted twice in verse 3 and again in verse 10. Isaiah 59 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Jonah was trying to run from the Lord, which is impossible to do because God is om omnipresent. He's everywhere. And sin is really uh, a retreat from his presence. It's a breaking of fellowship with God so that we're not living quorum Deo, as the Latin phrase says, before the face of God, acting as if we were always in his presence. Jonah wasn't behaving that way. And that's important for us because we were created as human beings to live in communion with God. That's what, we were, that's what we were created for, to glorify God and to enjoy Him. That's what the Catechism tells us. 
C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity reiterates this point. What Satan put into the heads of our remote ancestors, Adam and Eve, was the idea that they could be like gods, could set up on their own as if they had created themselves, be their own masters, invent some sort of happiness for themselves outside God, apart from God. And out of that hopeless attempt has come nearly all that we call human history. Money, poverty, ambition, war, prostitution, classes, empires, slavery, the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. The reason why it can never succeed is this. God made us, invented us as a man invents an engine. A car is made to run on gasoline, and it would not run properly on anything else. Now, God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn or the food our spirits were designed to feed on. There is no other. That is why it is just no good asking God to make us happy in our own way without bothering about religion. God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. We were made for fellowship with God, and sin breaks that fellowship. First John, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Sin comes in and it breaks that fellowship with God, that fellowship that we were created to enjoy. And that's what was happening in Jonah's life. Well, the second thing we see is that sin leads to death. You'll notice that a phrase is repeated here um, three times in between verses 3 and, and 6. Jonah went down to Joppa. He went down to that port. He also, to, to flee from the presence of the Lord, he found a ship, he paid the fare, he went down into the ship. And then when he got on the ship, verse 5 says, he, he, he had gone down into the inner part of the ship. And there he fell asleep. And that phrase is used in the Hebrew language, in the Psalms particularly, to refer to death. Phrases like, which is a, a lot of places in the Psalms where it says, go down to the pit, talking about someone dying. Or go, <clears throat> go down into the depths of the earth. Go down to Sheol. Go down to silence. Go down to death. Sin leads to death. And Jonah, as he fled, and, and the way that this is communicated to us seems to indicate that the further he ran from the presence of the Lord, he was going down, always going down, going down, closer to death. And sin, sin does that. The wages of sin is what? It's death. The wages of sin, the payment for, what you earn when you sin is ultimately death. And it's the reason we die. That's what C.S. Lewis was talking about. When Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit, 
Sin entered the world and death came with it. They would have lived forever if they had not sinned. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We were not created to die. We were created to have eternal life. When we embrace sin, we're embracing death. And that's what Jonah was doing. So sin leads to death. Sin also leads to judgment. Look at verse 4. Jonah fled. He got on the ship. Verse 4, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Well, this word hurl is the word you would use if you were a javelin thrower. Now, I ran track in college, and that wasn't my main event, but I threw the javelin on the side, especially when we had smaller meets and the competition wasn't very good. I could sometimes pick up a point or two here and there. Well, this indicates that God hurled like a javelin, hurled this tempest, this storm at Jonah. A, 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 a temporal judgment in Jonah's life for fleeing from his presence and not heeding his command. And the word is actually used three times in the passage. The Lord hurls the tempest, the mariners hurl their cargo overboard, then Jonah himself is hurled overboard. And in his mind, I'm sure, when he was hurled overboard, he thought this is the end. Death is certain. And we'll see that next week when we see how he prays in chapter 2. I was reading in my yearly reading plan the other day, last week's Psalm 34. It says, The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. We're all liable to judgment. Everyone has to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, the Scriptures tell us. Jesus said the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. The writer of Hebrews, just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment. Sin leads to judgment. But Christ, as the writer of Hebrews goes on to say, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to deal with sin but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. If we turn to Christ, turn away from sin and turn to Christ, we will be saved. So sin leads to judgment. Sin also hardens your heart. Now Jonah goes down into the belly of the ship and he falls asleep in the midst of a, of a raging storm. I mean, he is down closest to the water and he's not hearing it at all. He's out of it. Matthew Henry makes this great comment on it. And he says, Note, sin is of a stupefying nature. A little archaic language there. Sin is of a stupefying nature. And we are concerned to take heed lest at any time our hearts be hardened by the deceitfulness of it. It is the policy of Satan when by his temptation he has drawn men from God in their duty to rock them asleep in carnal security, 
that they may not be sensible of their misery and danger. It concerns us all to watch, therefore. The more you sin, the harder your heart gets and the more callous you are to sin and its consequences. And that seems to be what Jonah was experiencing there in the belly of the ship. He was not concerned about the storm. He was not concerned about the other sailors on board. He was running from God and his duty to God. And he wasn't seemingly concerned at all about any of it. And that leads us to the next thing. Not only does sin harden your heart, sin hurts people around you. The mariners lost all their cargo, all their precious cargo that they had worked to trade for and to haul, and, and surely they would have been held accountable if it was not their cargo. It had a destructive effect upon their lives as well. We'd like to think that our sins don't affect anybody else, and especially when we run headlong into sin, we're not thinking of anybody else. We're only thinking of ourselves, and that's the nature of sin. It's self-centered. We want to do what we want to do. We're certainly not being God-centered. We're following our own desires, no matter how it affects anyone else. Just think of a sin, adultery, for example. You know, adultery certainly affects other people. Obviously, it affects the innocent spouse, but it also affects the children, and it affects the, the family, the, the extended family. I mean, when you want to get together on holidays, you know, then there's this awkwardness, this pain, this suffering. You've lost one half of the family. People tend to take sides in these things. It wreaks havoc in families. And that's true of not just adultery, that's true of any sin, even private sins, even sins that you think no one even knows you're committing. They do affect others. And sometimes our sin affects others down the road. You know, we get into things like pornography, and it changes the way we think about things, changes our values. Well, that's going to hurt your marriage down the line. That's, gonna, that's a sin against your future spouse. Sin has consequences. It hurts people around you. It hurts you and others. And then sin makes you a hypocrite. When they cast lots and, and they find out that Jonah is the one that is causing all this problem, they ask him, you know, who are you? What, what's, the, what's your country of origin and, and what's your occupation and so forth? And Jonah says to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord. Really? He fears the Lord. What a great example of fearing the Lord Jonah is at this moment. I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord. That is his confession of faith. But he's not living it out at all. He's not fearing the Lord. And you might think, well, if you fear something, you run from it, and that's what he's doing. But if he really feared God, he wouldn't run from God because that's what's getting him into trouble. So see, he's a hypocrite. And actually, these pagan mariners are more righteous than he is. The mariners actually rebuke him. They say, what is this that you have done? You're stupid. You've gotten us involved as well. They rebuke him, and then 
they act more righteously than he does. Jonah says, throw me overboard, and they say, no, we're not going to kill you. And they made every effort to save his life and the lives of others and the lives of everyone on the, on the ship. They rode and rode, but they couldn't get there. And then they prayed this prayer. They cried out to the Lord, verse 14, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. Who really fears the Lord? It's these guys. They are fearing the Lord. Jonah was a big hypocrite. And hypocrisy hurts other people as well. It ruins their witness. You know, what kind of example? Here's Jonah, a prophet from Israel. What kind of prophet is, is this? What kind of impression did he make on these pagans? Thankfully, God was sovereign in it. And God overruled Jonah's and used Jonah's misdeeds, his disobedience, to save these mariners' lives. Because at the end, they end up exceedingly fearing the Lord and when the storm is stilled, they make a sacrifice and they make vows to the Lord. God overruled his hypocrisy. That's good news for us because we do fall into hypocrisy. But you see there the damage that sin can do in the lives of others and, and, and the appearance that you bring to other people. Do we live up to our confession of faith? You know, do we live out what we believe? Well, these are just the consequences of Jonah's sins, his sins, in this account before us. We could probably explore and think about it a bit more and know that there's many other consequences that sin has. But I think you hopefully will get the point. Sin leaves a destructive path in its wake. Destruction in your life and in the lives of others. So we must heed the warnings However, do not make the mistake of trying to fix your sin on your own. You might be thinking about this and, uh, yes, I see you know, my sin, you know your sin. You think, well, I'm going to try to do better. I'm going I'm to try to improve myself. I'm going to try to stop sinning in my own strength, on my own. Well, that would be like living here on the beach and finding out a Class 5 hurricane is headed your way. Resolving to, to just do better would be like thinking you're safe just because you have shut the front door and boarded up the windows. Those measures won't help you when a 40-foot storm surge hits the house and wipes it completely off its foundations. All your efforts would be for nothing. What you need to do is run for safety in that scenario which I'm sure all of you would do after the experience you had 15 years ago. And in the case of our sin, there's only one safe place. You know, just trying to patch it off and, and do better, we need to run to the security of our Savior Christ. The one safe place, the one refuge. Through his perfect obedience that we've been singing about, his, his sacrifice for sin, in his life, his perfection of obedience in his life and his death, he dealt with sin. He's the only one that can deal with our sin problem. And we see the consequences of Christ's obedience. Yes, we see the consequences of our sin, but instead of looking at the consequences of our obedience, 
it would fall short. We want to look at the consequences of his obedience because that's what saves us. He obeyed perfectly in his life and he obeyed the Father by going, taking on the burden of sin at the cross and paying the penalty for it. And, and through his obedience, he frees us from the consequences of our sin. He frees us from, first of all, the guilt of sin. In Christ there is redemption, the forgiveness of sin, Paul writes in Colossians chapter 1, verse 14. By the shedding of his blood as a sacrifice of atonement, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, forgiveness is secured for all those who are united to him by faith. <clears throat> so forgiveness, it is wonderful to know that you are forgiven, cleansed, washed, renewed. But Jesus didn't only just die to forgive us. <clears throat> Sometimes people stop there. They think, oh, good, my sins are all forgiven. But, he, but Jesus <clears throat> also frees us from the power of sin. You know, before, there's only two options in life. You're either in bondage to sin or you're in bondage to Christ. You're, you're either serving sin or you're serving Christ. 1 Peter tells us the assurance of pardon that we read today. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Die to sin. It, it no longer has the power over us. When Christ becomes your master, sin is no longer the master. You don't have to give in to it. I know it's a struggle. I struggle myself with sin. But we need to be reminded that it's in Christ. You know, we need to remember who we are in Christ and live out of that with, a, with the power of enable, enablement of the Holy Spirit. Christ frees us from the guilt of sin, the power of sin, and one day he will free us from the very presence of sin. We will be in that place where sin is no more and all the consequences of sin is no more. There will be no more death or pain or suffering in the new heavens and the new earth. Well, how were the mariners saved? Let's look at those guys for just a moment. <clears throat> they, were, they were experiencing the, the, the wrath and, and judgment of God as they were tossed by the tempest of the Lord there. It was through the sacrifice of one man that quieted the storm of judgment. That man went into the sea. But three days later, he was back on dry land. And Jonah became a sign pointing us to Jesus Christ. Jesus sacrificed himself on the cross. And he said, just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. We see the consequences of sin. May we turn from sin and turn to Christ, not to our own efforts of self-improvement, but to Christ to cleanse us, renew us, and to enable us by the power of the Holy Spirit to 
Go and sin no more, as Jesus often said. Something greater than Jonah is here. A Savior who is a refuge for us. Flee into, into his presence. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your word. What an encouragement it is to us that this devastating disease that we have of sin that was handed down to us from our first parents. Lord, it wreaks havoc in our lives and in the lives of others. Lord, we, we sin against one another, but most of all, we sin against you. Lord, we ask that you would forgive us, cleanse us, renew us, draw us to yourself, Lord. May we come to know you and love you and enjoy you and walk before your face in your presence day after day. May we all know here the joy of salvation day by day. And may we ever see ourselves increasing in holiness and Christ's likeness in all that we do. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.